You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, folks. Welcome back to Life's Mountain Westwire. Take... Okay, hold on. Matt, three, two, one. Welcome to Mountain Westwire Podcast, folks. I'm leaving that in, so you're welcome. <laughs> if I could speak, but uh, we're on to the Utah State preview. MWR.com is our uh, website where all of our written stuff can be found, our podcast. Uh, just search Mountain Westwire Podcast. Uh, Matt's joining me, who cannot speak straight today, but how's it going? We are almost halfway through our previews. Yeah, I think this is the halfway point, is it not? We have done Hawaii, New Mexico, Wyoming, San Diego State, and Colorado State. So that's six? Uh, this would be number six, yeah. Yeah, we are at the midway point, Utah State. Is the team we're previewing at this moment in time? We've teased it through other podcasts, so if you haven't listened or you're following along or whatever order you have, Matt, top fifty countdown is a go. That is correct. And I'm putting a few things on Instagram. Bear with me as I don't use it too often, so hopefully it works out well. <laughs> but uh, check out Twitter, MWC Wire. Every day you're posting those. Uh, Instagram, Mountain West Wire. Close enough, but that's what we got here. And. Uh, so far, we're just a couple players in, but they'll be going through... What's the end date, Matt? Like a week before the scheduled start to the season? Yes. I stress scheduled start to the season heavily. <laughs> we're not going to worry about that stuff right now. We're going to attempt to go through as normal as possible with Utah State and all these previews. So we got the Aggies, Matt. So what should we know from last year from Utah State? Like what's kind of the backdrop from what happened last year to going forward? Well, uh, I mean, if you want to give the simple story, it's that year one of uh, Gary Anderson 2.0 was uneven. That's nice, To say the least. (laughs) Because, you know, they they did go bowling, but I think that a lot of Aggies fans expected them to be a little more competitive than they ultimately were. I mean, in a lot of – maybe 10 years ago – Seven wins would have been nothing to sniff at. That would be that'd cause a parade and shut down Logan for two weeks. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously some of the the big headlines of what went wrong, you know, they they got snake bitten by turnovers and the same way that they kind of were two uh two years ago or three seasons ago now at this point back in twenty seventeen. And when I was researching for this podcast, one of the things that I thought was the most interesting numbers of all is that on a points-per-drive basis on offense, they were almost exactly the same as they were back in 2017 when they went 5-7. and seven. You know, part of the problem was that, you know, from the heights of 2018, when they won 11 games in, on, a, on a net points-per-drive basis, I think they were third in the country, there was definitely a big drop-off from that high. And so... You know, you look forward to 2020 and it's kind of the great unknown because now they're going into the season without a first round NFL quarterback, mm-hmm. you know, without maybe their best linebacker of the past decade, which, you know, when you look at Utah State linebackers is saying something and they aren't the only missing pieces. So, you know, they've got just as many questions as pretty much everybody else in the conference. That seems to be like a really common theme, but you know, this I think is really uh, maybe a more important juncture for the Aggies in year two of the Gary Anderson era than it might be for a lot of other programs that, you know, we've talked about at least a few 
teams where they're starting over with year one of their um, of their new hires, their new coaching hires. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, ensuring that they don't take another big step back is really the most crucial thing that the Aggies can do this year. Yeah, I mean, coaching, they brought on a new um, offense coordinator, Bodie Reader, is coming into town. Yeah. So if him, he's replacing you know, Mike Sanford, who left for Indiana, right? Uh, I believe so. I forget. He, he, yeah, he, he's one and done, basically. So yeah, new OC, which, okay. Like, here's the thing. Like, we knew the offense has some hiccups from last year for our, because you don't have David Yost. You don't have that type of wide, op- wide open offense. However... <laughs> Bodie Reader, you know where he comes from, Matt? North Texas? Gra- Graham Harrell? Are we going to see the return of passing the lot of the football for Utah State with the new hire here? He coached Maybe. quarterbacks. He coached, um, oh shoot, who's the guy, who, North Texas QB? Um, Mason Fine. Mason Fine, yes. Quite a good quarterback. And so he coached him, the OC. Like, he's a really good coach. North Texas puts up points. It has been. So he's also coached with Eastern Washington, which is all known for a lot of points, a lot of passing, moving the ball. So hopefully this move kind of is a, a step. Because Mike Sanford, what he did wasn't really what David Yost did, but it's kind of like a huge pendulum swing. This goes more toward what Utah State would use, but not quite that far, but more mm-hmm. progressive than what they had last year. So if they could find a good medium, because you knew Gary Anderson wouldn't come in and look where he's coached. He coached at conservative places like University of Utah, other offensively, I should say, even though as a defensive coach, he's head coach at Wisconsin, run the ball. You know what I mean? Oregon State, like, what are, they're not known for this op- wide open offense and slinging the ball around. So, hopefully, with this guy coming in um, with Reader, that'll be them returning to more closely to what they did before. And maybe, even though you got new names and similar, obviously, new names, new quarterback, running back, receivers, a lot of lost talent. But if they revert back to that, where these most of these players are a good chunk, were around with David Yost. It might be something that they're more suited for. It's like work with the talent you have, not with what you want. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully that's my that's my hopeful for this year. They could possibly kind of go back into that direction where they're scoring more points, moving more up tempo, but may, just not as much as they were with David Yost and uh, Matt Wells. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my hope, right? That's that's a positive, right? That's what you got to look for if you want this team. Not that they were boring last year, Matt, but it's like you want to see. Who does like it's like the long ball, the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. Everybody loves long ball. Let's go with that. Come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that was one of the th- the other things that really fell off from 2018 is that they weren't quite as explosive in a lot of respects. You know, a lot of the, the passing, you know, explosiveness went through CIOC Mariner and he's gone now. <laughs> and, you know, when when it comes to the ground game, you know, the number of 10 yard runs that they had, it fell from roughly 15 percent to 12 percent, which may not sound like a lot, but you're talking about like probably one or two plays per game that they weren't getting and that they had been before. And so, you know, I don't think it's going to be really incumbent on one player or another to shoulder most of that load. You know, like you mentioned, they're having to replace a lot on both offense and defense. And so I think it's got to be the kind of group effort that everybody's got to contribute a little bit. And if we want to start talking about the quarterback, I feel like we've been talking about this in virtually every team podcast we've done so far but now is henry columbia's time to shine yes and he had time two years ago because here's the good thing about utah state he's a guy who's had a decent amount of playing time over his past couple of years he's going to be his third year in playing eligibility he played he took over most of the fourth quarters for jordan love a couple years ago he played a little bit last year but so he's a new guy but it's now his team like 
there was no threat of him taking over Jordan Love the past couple of years, but it's not like a fresh, brand new guy. And so yeah. that's always a positive. We have a guy who's been around these receivers, your offensive line, your coaching staff for the past two plus years. So despite him being a new quarterback, I'd put him above other quarterbacks. Like I know we have our quarterback rankings. We voted on staff recently, at least team wise. You'd put him above like new guys like at Fresno State, even though their offense could be pretty good with what they have coming back, new head coach, or over obviously no no secret over San Diego State. But he's not going to be near guys like Bach, Meyer, Boise, or even Patrick O'Brien, most likely at CSU. He's like a middle of the pack guy, and that's not a bad thing to have to start off. Mm-hmm. Especially with the uh, limit of practices going on so far this past uh, few months. Yeah, I mean, he's. We talked about uh, Chevin Cordero in kind of the same way when we did our Hawaii mm-hmm. podcast. I, I kind of feel like Columbia's situation is almost the exact opposite, where he hasn't had much starting experience, but the experience that he had has been much more consistent. Like you, you look at his career numbers, and he's got a completion rate of like it's a shade under seventy-seven percent, which is really, really good. But the problem he has, unlike Cordero, is that he only has 69 career passes to date. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen him in moments, like I think it was last year against Wyoming where he came in late and and rallied them. So it's it's not like he hasn't been in situations where the stakes are high. Um, it's just that those glimpses that we've seen over the last couple of years are very few and far between. You know, most of the production he's put up has been kind of in, in blowout situations, maybe against second stringers or, or, you know, a combination of first team and second team players. So, you know, I think, does he have it in him? Yes. But, you know, the question of whether he can produce consistently is, you know, to me, one of those, another one of those $64,000 questions that Utah State is going to have to face. Yeah, that it is. Like, it's good, it's good that they have him, but it's also, I want to see you when it matters. Like it's different to go out there and play when you have a three to five touchdown lead and you're doing well, where there's literally no pressure to lose the game or probably get pulled. And so, which it could be good that you play and lose playing out there, but what happens when it's tightens up there and it's a, you're at 16 to 12 at your own 40 yard line on third and six with two minutes left. How's that going to mm-hmm. handle that? And so that's what you want to see. Like he, I think most guys, they want that situation, but it's just being there the first time could be, We'll see how it goes when, like you said, when stuff's on the line, when there's an actual result if you mess up compared to being up 28 points and you go three and out on two overthrown passes and a one-yard handoff. Well, and the other thing that you can't overlook too, which it wasn't really a focal point when Love was under center, but you know he did so more in 2018 and 2019, but it's also worth keeping in mind that he could run a little bit too. You yes. Know, for, his, for his career, and this is without adjusting for sacks, but he's averaging five yards carry, which is... You know, it's not like Cole McDonald level kind of quarterback running, but it's still some. It's still pretty significant if you ask me, and so it gives the offense another potential wrinkle to take advantage of. You know, considering the uh, the question marks elsewhere on you know the skill positions, you know maybe they have him run it three or four times a game. You know, in crucial kind of third down situations where they have to move the ball one way or another. You know, it gives them an extra layer of flexibility that they maybe didn't always need over the last couple of years. Yeah. Like if he runs like 30 to 30 yards a game on like seven carries or something, somewhere in that range, that's fine. But also if he, if he's a threat to run, mixing the play action, the RPO stuff roll out, he could extend plays where he may be taken off the line and see somebody streaking up the field where he throws right line of scrimmage in a full sprint to get that downfield pass or across yeah. the body pass. So like whether he runs a lot, keeps that average, 
that would be great. But even if he doesn't, if he's a threat to do that, where if teams have to kind of not spy him, but kind of pay attention, like, oh, he's taken off, let's go attack him instead of dropping in coverage where you're not having a stone foot, stone foot back there, that's going to be mm-hmm. helpful. And it's uh, it's just something they need to take advantage of. It's whether it be just moving the pocket or doing some designed runs here and there. Like, he should have a couple runs a game. Like, I think three to five designed runs is perfectly fine. Not like a sneak, but like something in shotgun. But somewhere in that range where if he can do that then he and he does well with it, that'll just open more things up and make defenses honest when you have a brand new receiving core, you lost one of your better running backs, and a new offensive coordinator. You've got to have some stuff that keeps you uh, gets your edge there, and that's one of the edges I think they would have and need to use in some degree. Yeah. And I mean, of course, I think one of the other obvious things is, you know, can he take care of the football? Because, you know, that was one of the narratives seemingly throughout the season and even into the NFL draft was, you know, Jordan Love and his interceptions. Because when you look at kind of the rest of the team's overall stat line, you know, the the fact that they were averaging, I think it was 7.2 yards per attempt was, you know, perfectly acceptable. It was right around average for the for the Mountain West. And, you know, they have 22 touchdowns as a team, which was also right around average. And in terms of overall passer rating as a team, Utah State was still, I think, they they were seventh, so it was, you know, fine. And they had a 62.5% completion rate, which is also above average. And so, you know, I think if they can at least split the difference between where they were in, in 2018 and 2019 in that regard, because I think duplicating the performance that they had in 2018 is asking a lot. Oh, that's, that's know, like a once-in-a-generation type of offense. Yeah, because they, you know, they had six interceptions and 465 attempts that year. You know, and last year, of course, they had 18 overall, and I think it was uh, sorry, I'm looking it up now, and 504 attempts. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's, yeah, I think it's maybe asking a lot to ask him to play totally mistake-free football in the same way that Jordan Love or even, you know, another comp like Marcus McMarion did in mm-hmm. his time at Fresno State as a starter, where you know maybe he wasn't the flashiest quarterback, but he was the guy who never made mistakes. That's asking a lot of Columbia. But, you know, if he can be like, I don't know, let's say like Patrick O'Brien was at Colorado State last year. Take it. I would take it, Aggie Van, for sure. Yeah, because as a team, you know, without bothering other people to look it up, they were averaging eight yards per attempt. They were had a touchdown-to-interception ratio of roughly two to one. And in terms of team passer rating, they were fourth in the conference last year. I think that's really all you need. I think that's probably the benchmark. That would be nice. No, if you if he can do that with what they have, we'll get to the running game in a moment. But yeah, he's like just right above average is what they want to be. Like Utah State is a team where overall expected outcome per year should be like we I jokingly earlier seven wins they throw a party. That's true back then, but now like there's computers ago like should we be getting rid of all these coaches when we're not making a bowl game when they lost all those one possession games a couple years ago. They're a team where their expectations are overall. I know I'm kind of jumping early, but is going to a bowl game and probably finishing third in the Mountain Division is probably their is what fans are probably at lowest expectations are, which mm-hmm. probably means at least seven wins. And if you're at above average at quarterback, that's at least one step to get in there. Yeah. So, do we need to worry about any other quarterback, or is it just Columbia and that's we're moving straight forward? I mean, I know that there was some talk about Andrew Peasley possibly pushing him because the only two other options on the roster right now are redshirt freshman 
But honestly, I would be very surprised if it was anybody other than Columbia starting in week one. Yeah, it makes zero. Especially when they're playing Washington State at home. Mm-hmm. That's like you don't want a new guy out there, even though Columbia vaguely new to starting, but not not lacking experience. So yeah. I, I agree. There's There should be no other person kind of in the running to take over that job. So should we get to the, my – the player who I'm going to hype all year long and hopefully cross my fingers is right at running back. Is he? Your, uh, is Jalen Warren your preseason crush? Heck yeah, he he's awesome. He's going to be amazing. He is not getting any respect in the conference. Just saying, like I know what he did at Snow College, not great. Well, no, it was great, but the translation may not be there. Remember, he was hurt a little bit last year. But he's a guy who was like came out of nowhere in junior college, like crushed all these records for all Americans at at Snow College, which is a really good JUCO as well, one of the best in the country. He comes in behind the guy who gets drafted in the NFL, so like he's going to be the guy. Look at the also look at the track record the past couple of Utah State running backs. They get drafted, and so he could be the next guy to be up there. And if he's healthy, like there's a ton of good running backs in conference, like Charles Williams, um, Xavier Valaday. You have a uh, Kaden Remsburg, George Holani. Ronnie Rivers, this this running back league is deep. I am surprised, like, he did make Athlon's third team all-conference, but as, like, all-purpose. Like, he wasn't even technically considered above Miles Reed. You have Toa Tawa. He's a guy who, I don't know if he could crack the top four, but there's going to be, remember a couple years ago, we had Brian Hill, Jeremy McNichols, all these good running backs a couple years mm-hmm. ago. Brian, and who else was there? I forget, but a few other people. Like, this is going to be, like, that year. And he's going to be a guy who's going to start behind everybody else just because of what, he's a new, newish guy, wasn't started last year. But I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he were, I don't know, he's hmm, trying to debate where I should put him at, but he's going to be really good. And a key reason Utah State will be good because, hello, they have no, no receivers from last year, Matt. <laughs> yeah, so like on a, on a per carry basis, I... I, you know, it's really hard not to agree with you just in terms of, you know, you. even though he only had 112 <laughs> carries, he his per carry average is 5.08. And so if you're not looking at the leaderboards, that is more or less right in line with, you know, not only his te- his departed teammate, Gerald Bright, you know, it's right in line with some of the bigger names in the conference, like Ronnie Rivers, like Xavier Valaday, you know, like, you know, Bryson Carroll, who had roughly the same, you know, share of carries throughout the season. And, you know, it's a tick behind guys like Miles Reed and George Halani. I think the big question, which is why I'm, I'm not as totally sold as you, is one, can he stay healthy? Because on a per-game basis, mm-hmm. he only averaged nine carries per game last year. As a backup, though, number two. And so I think the question is, do they want him to be a workhorse back? Do they want him to be a Charles Williams who averaged 17 carries per game or an Xavier Valaday? who averaged 20 yards a game, the only guy in the conference to do that, by the way? Or are they looking for him to be that kind of 1A and, and identify the 1B after that? Because Bright, who I mentioned a minute ago, was the guy who saw more work generally. You know, he he ended up seeing about roughly 14 carries per game. So if that's the if that's the ceiling for Warren, then I think the bigger question is, you know, who's going to be that second guy? Because you know, uh, Enoch Nawahini, who was the only guy on the roster who saw an, an FBS carry as a running back last year. He, I believe, is on a mission now at this point. Mm. They He's have three, not play in 2020. Yeah, they have a couple of true freshmen, like I'll butcher this name, Ilion Noah, John Gentry, and Isaiah Afatasi. But they're like, 
what are you going to do? Like, here's one good note. Noah, who was the all-time leading rusher at Helix Charter High School, which, uh, you know, Reggie Bush went there. So mm-hmm. it's not too bad. But no, you want to have I, experience. I what you're but, it's, it's not, but they don't have experience no. behind Warren at Correct. this point. Correct. So if he, if he gets nicked up again, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on a lot of unproven entities at this point. That's and, why. And so we don't really know who's going to shape up that committee, or even if they want it to be a committee, or if they're expecting Jalen Warren, who's, you know, physically is not the biggest guy. He's mm-hmm. only 5'8", 215 pounds. You know, what kind of role he ends up playing is ultimately going to shape kind of who lines up behind him, I think. I would think they like what they've done the past couple of years, because like Darwin Thompson and all these other guys who are doing quite well, I and moving on to the next level, I would think that what they'd want to do is keep it that way, but the lack of experience behind them means he may not do 20-plus carries like Zayvon Valaday, but why not give him 13 to 4, 13 to 16? Like, maybe not what it was, maybe a touch more than what they gave the starter last year. Yeah. I think that's where they want to be because you're right. Yeah, he's 215, but 5'8. Like, he'll get knocked over, and their schedule is not exactly friendly defenses they're playing. San Diego State, Boise State, so they got Washington on the schedule. BYU has, usually has a pretty good defense. They face them, and so I think it'll be more of a. Uh, He'll be the main guy for sure. There's no question he's a starter. I just think it'll be maybe 10 or 15% more compared to what it done, like with the carry distribution. Mm-hmm. It'll be not a committee for one, two, but it'll be almost, I'm trying to say this too long, long-winded, but it's like last year, just give him three more carries than the guy last year started. That's like what it'll, what it'll be. They'll have a mm-hmm. couple guys behind him, but I think he'll be the main guy. And I wouldn't be surprised if he were to take over occasional games where they needed him to run 16, 18 times. So that's where I kind of think throughout. But I think Iceland will be more toward progressing to a, a one singular back than having multiple like the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So that's where I stand on that. But I do think he's going to be a surprise player people need to uh, keep an eye on by far. Like he, in our top 50 countdown, I'm not the highest on the list if you're wondering. Just saying. There's somebody put them top 10, I want to say. Yeah. So people pay attention and that's all we're saying. He may not make... Like when all conference teams come out in a couple weeks for the actual league, he won't make too deep, but he's in the mix to be a second team all conference running back. There just happens to be a lot of good running backs in the conference. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Prophets of Line, are they going to be able to keep somebody upright this year? Well, see, that's the thing because the offensive line was actually not too bad last year, considering the fact that they were breaking in so many new guys. Like, I think it was Alfred Edwards who was the only holdover from 2018. But, you know, considering they've got, you know, all five starters coming back at this point, you know, they were able to continue doing a lot of things that some of the old some of the old units were able to do well, primarily protecting the quarterback. You know, in terms of sack rate allowed, they were still, I think, 20th in the, in the country with a 3.9% sack rate allowed. I think their work in the run game, you know, can more consistently open them, opening up holes, excuse me, is going to be something to improve upon because, you know, they weren't necessarily that great at preventing opposing defensive lines from getting into the backfield. You know, they were 82nd nationally in stuff rate allowed, for instance, and they were really only average in short yarded situations, you know, power success rate, which the, the metric that measures that they were 63rd. So like right in the middle of the pack. But I don't think it would take that much for them to improve, especially since, like I said, everybody's coming back and they're also a lot deeper than they were because of the fact that they've got everybody coming back. You know, Edwards, of course, is still going to anchor the left side. 
Yeah, they've got the the Shaws at both guards, uh, Ty Shaw and Carter Shaw, uh, Dimitri Galifua at center, you know, Kyler Hack. And then, you know, behind them, they've got guys who saw a lot of playing time, like Jacob South, like Andy Cook, who started the year as a starter, could reasonably line up, you know, in this in the starting lineup when he's back to being 100 percent. So now all of a sudden you've got like seven guys who had extensive starting experience and that's a pretty good start for an offense that's having to reload and find a lot of answers elsewhere. It is, and that was a big issue last year. Like, who's going to replace the guys like Quinn Fickle and everybody on the offensive line? And yeah. so, but now they have all these guys back. Like, that's why another reason to look at Utah State to be a solid in the running game. You have an experienced running back, fairly experienced, an offensive line that's had a full year underneath them. They were still pretty good last year, went to a bowl game. Then you have a quarterback who's played enough, not complete starter, but he's not a newbie. He's been out there playing significant minutes. So it all adds up to if the offensive line can keep everybody upright and make holes, that's going to make everybody else's job easier, whether it's the backups to one of the true freshmen to back up Warren, or it's going to be Columbia to be able to stay in the game or be more confident when it's a, when it's a tight situation where he has to make a play on this particular uh, moment in time. And so mm-hmm. with the, it's like the biggest thing. Like if you have your offensive line back and they're pretty good last year with a brand-new unit, clearly you would think that they would get better just by getting the reps and that's going to be a big deal where Utah's like their win projection total is going to be iffy here because who they play, it's a tough schedule. But it's going to keep them in a lot of games. They're not going to cause Columbia to get sacked a three to eight times a game. And it's always a plus. Like if you have the offensive line, you're going to be fine. It's going to be helpful. And then that will give time. It'll help everybody else around them, and that's what they need. Like they, This is going to be the unit that's probably the most important for the team to be success, I would say. Or at least uh, we'll talk about defense, but for offense, like – you got all these new guys around you. You want to make them comfortable. What makes them more comfortable? They give you the quarterback time to throw to new wide receivers. Well, new, new though. Yeah, they lost some key guys like Sosie Mariner. I mean, they lo- they lost Mariner. Yeah. Okay, they lost their number one guy. I should say. Okay. But uh, but that means that you know the biggest question I think for the receiving unit is is the whole greater than the sum of its parts because they've got pretty much every other contributor coming back. It's just a matter of figuring out, well, are they going to have a, a, a true number one like Mariner was last year and like, you know, Ron Quavian Tarver had been in, in the years before that. And so, you know, I look at a guy like Jordan Nathan, for instance, who I would presume would be kind of the the guy, the next guy up in that regard. But for his career, he's only averaged 11 yards per catch. And it's not to say that being an efficiency weapon isn't useful. But, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, as far as creating more explosive plays, you know, now you start looking at guys who've really only been role players in years past, like Devin Tompkins and Taylor Compton. Um, You know, those, I think, are two guys that I would expect to see a little more out of because, you know, I don't know at this point, for instance, whether Savon Scarborough is going to be the receiving weapon that I think we might have expected him to be at this time last year. He has, you know, he had 27 catches or 24 catches, excuse me, but he only averaged 11 yards per catch, and and that's not to say that he still doesn't have utility as, I don't know, the the best returner in the conference, which we'll talk about more mm-hmm. in a little bit. He's up there, but he may not be in a position to be that kind of second or third option in the same way that someone like Tompkins might, you know, because he he had 40 catches and and scored four touchdowns last year. You know, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect him to come in the vicinity of maybe doubling that. You know, I don't know that they necessarily need a thousand yard receiver to be an efficient kind of offense. 
or a really potent offense. But I think they do need at least one or two guys to step up and be in that kind of 800, 900 yard range in the same way that they were, you know, when Tarver was the number one option. Like they didn't have like one guy who really stood out, but they had three or four guys who you couldn't ignore and were successful in that and and were, you know, a successful passing offense because of that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but look, I'm looking at so see Mariner, like he had games like 30 yards attempted, like he averaged 15 and a half. Yeah. But but he had multiple games over 20 plus, like four or five of his games were 20 plus. I remember some 80 yard line down the sidelines. He'd like to maybe more catches for his part, but he had 987, 10 TDs. Like mm-hmm. they're not necessarily like it'd be nice. You want to have a go to guy. That's a key because you don't want to have a bunch. Which I guess either you can look at it how you want to, but you want to have one guy who's like a deep threat guy. Which helpful. You want to have a guy who can catch all the passes, which they do have, because like you said, Nathan had 56 last year. Devin Tompkins had 40. Like they had a good amount. They do lose their tight end Caleb Rep, which is a it's a pretty big loss for what he averaged. But they need a guy who, like maybe it's Devin Tompkins, who's about four, almost thir- over 13 yards a catch. Like they need somebody who can go more than a 10 yard catch guy. Yeah, they need somebody who can stretch the field. Yeah, like you would and think that- Scarver could be that guy for his speed. But he hasn't seemed to show it. No touchdowns last year, only 11 yards per per attempt or per catch, mm-hmm. I should say. So it's like, yeah, you would think the speed would be there, but that would be. I think that's their biggest lacking here. Because Sosie Mariner, we saw like, whoa, Jordan Love, the 80 yard touchdown pass down the sideline, 60 yard pass. They need that, like not a lot. Like Mariner didn't have a ton of. It's like he's pulling up Jared Saunders numbers or something, where he's putting up 25 plus per catch. But if they could have a guy between about 15, and you have like, what's a reasonable number? You want to have, what, three 20 plus? Is three catches of 20 yards or more for a team too much to ask for in a game? Uh, without looking, without having those numbers in front of me, I, I know, I'm guessing too. Maybe not. Like a couple. You want some, not, those aren't deep balls, but you want some guy who can go down the field because you know what that does. You have a guy down the field, it opens up the middle, especially if you can bring a safety with you going up for like a, a seam or some sort of slant route. That's a 15-yard slant. Where okay, so to, to answer your question a little bit, Drew, real quick, because I, th- I think it is instructive. Last year, Utah State had 50 passing plays of 20 or more yards. It, and that was in 13 games. So that was roughly... Three and a half. Yeah, three and a half to four. Okay, so no, it's not too much to ask for. But when you compare that to teams ahead of them, like Boise State or Hawaii, yeah. you know, Boise State had 62 such plays. Okay. Hawaii had 61. Okay. So I think, you know, again, there's room for improvement. Mm-hmm. And that's just the raw numbers. You know, like I like I mentioned before, I think there was a little bit of drop off on a percentage basis from where they were in 2018. So even if they can make up a portion of that, that could be a huge win for them in the long run. Yeah, whether well, just be like if they had that same production as last year. But here's the thing with like I said, new OC in town who came from North Texas who likes to swing the ball. That mm. hopefully that number would increase, but we just don't know who that would be. Maybe Scarver makes a huge jump from this year, which hard to say. But with them only losing one receiver, because he's a freshman All-American return guy. He was wasn't he All Conference last year return guy as well, first team. Uh, yes, I believe okay. so. So he was whether first or second team, really good. And not every receiver returner is going to be a good receiver, vice versa. But you would think. He finally takes the next step. He's in a because here's the thing too. Year one, here's offense A. Year two, offense B. Year three, it's not necessarily C because you still have the same coach, but it's kind of a new system a little bit. Mm-hmm. So maybe that could be an area where hey, we got this speed guy who moves the ball well, or maybe it's they put him like a John Hightower, Boy State a little bit where he gets those quick, which would make sense too. Give him end arounds, quick passes to move, and 
he may make big plays on his own where it's not necessarily a 20-yard air pass or 30-yard air pass, but he makes 20 or 30 yards because he's so fast they can get into a familiar situation that's like a return situation where he catches the ball on the swing or something. Mm-hmm. But I, I think overall they're going to be fine. Is that is that a good confidence? Just fine? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the the optimist's case would lead you to believe that there's definitely a yeah, there's a decent possibility that they're an above average offense. You know, maybe not quite to the 2018 level, but definitely better than 2019, mm-hmm. even with the host of new faces. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it'll be, they'll be good. All right, so let's go to defense now, okay? That's the bigger problem. It is because, they do, here's a good side. You have Gary Anderson back on your team coaching. He's a mm-hmm. good defensive coach. However, David Woodward's gone. Typical A is gone. You, I'm looking at like we. I posted the Athlon All Conference team recently. How, when's the last time you've seen Utah State have nobody on the first team All Conference defense? I feel like it's been a little while. The only guy they have on the second team is Shaq Bond, a safety who's really good. Mm-hmm. They they're, they have nobody until like they have Troy Lefkin as the linebacker on the third team, and they do go four deep where they have just oh that's offensive line excuse me where they have like Kevin Metzenheimer. And that's it. Oh, sorry, Justice Tell as well, defense lineman. Not many. Yeah, I mean, the bigger problem is you know, last year, kind of looking back again, they really backslid especially hard in the second half of the year. And you can't really pin that all on losing Woodward in the second half of the year because they were actually pretty good in the first half. You know, basically from August through October, they were giving up a shade over five yards per play. But in from November onwards through the through the bowl game they would give up they were giving up 6.4 yards per play which is simply not going to get it done and it's not like Woodward is the only guy that they're having to replace at this point you know they're having to replace both their cornerbacks and pretty much everybody on the defensive line guys like Devin Anderson and and the like uh, Tippa Galliai who we didn't bring up so Tei is the the really kind of the lone familiar face but they have some kind of past role players who could reasonably step up into bigger roles like Caden Anderson. And, you know, for this side of the ball in particular, one theme that I really noticed in researching the Aggies is they brought in a lot of transfers on all three levels of the defensive side of the ball. Because up front, which we're, which we're talking about right now, they brought in Marcus Moore from UCLA, and they brought in a JUCO transfer in James Hansen, who, both of whom were pretty productive in their previous spots so now all of a sudden you know even if there's a host of new names that we may not be familiar with you know there's a chance that they as a group they could shore things up because you know especially if they can improve against the run last year they were both they were 109th by both stuff rate and line yards per carry allowed which was you know below average um and in terms of opportunity rate which is essentially just letting offensive lines get to the second level um, letting running backs get loose. They were 113th in that regard. So there's going to be a lot of expectations on this new group, especially along the defensive line, to step up and be a little more disruptive out the gate. Yeah, and you would think with um, like guys, the coaching staff, like Gary Anderson, and even guys who take first time, like Justin Enos coming over from Utah in year two, like he brought a bunch of guys from there. It's, they need to, uh, they have co-defensive coordinators. That's new this year as well with Frank Malley and Stacey Collins, but they need to uh, follow Andrew. Like, Anderson knows what he's doing, so it's kind of like just trust what he does. You think he'll be fine, because typically defense, as he's been overseen, 
even though he's head coach now, have been really good or fine. Yes, they lose a lot of talent, but it's going to be one of his bigger jobs, especially like Washington State Week 1, Washington Week 3. They play San Diego State across division. They got Air Force. They got Boise State. They got CSU. A lot of good offenses are facing this year. And so defense is going to get tested early and often. It'll be difficult. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's going to – I lean toward the side. I trust the coach. But he's not tra- strapping up and playing. Like he's not the guy out there. But you think what his system, his knowledge is done in teaching – could overcome just new guys in town. You know what I mean? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And as for who they'll be like, is Shaq Bonder best player possibly defensively? He's probably the most proven player to have. But is that the best? Well, see, that's the thing because part of part of the other thing with the story about this year's defense is they're remaking it in some really unique ways. So like, Troy Leffigat Jr., for instance, really made his bones as a safety last year. But I'm, I believe they're supposed to be moving him to outside linebacker, you know, as someone who can, you know, rush the passer and fall back into coverage if they need him to. You know, alternatively, they're also moving Nick Henninger from defensive end to linebacker to do kind of sort of the same thing. So while they got guys like Meitzenheimer and Munoz in the middle, you know, those Outside linebackers in particular, whoever steps up is going to be really important, whether it's Lepigad Jr., whether it's Henninger, or even a guy like Keegan Duncan, who transferred from Boise State and was originally a running back. They've got him Mm -hmm. slated to be in the race for a linebacker spot as well. So, you know, Bond is pretty clearly one answer. I think Lepigad Jr. has a chance to be another answer, but his responsibilities in 2020 are going to be different from what they were a year ago. Oh, yeah, definitely will be. It's because when you're making those changes and switching things up, it when this is almost like, can we compare this to the offense last year that people were questioning a lot of replacement guys, like last year receivers, offensive line. But I'm not feeling like I'm saying anything. Like I'm more at ease with this defense because I think there's going to be a guy who's going to step up and play really well. Like they, like you mentioned, they've had – Look at the history. Like Bobby Wagner was there. I think it was Anderson years ago. Woodward's what probably the next best linebacker to him. They've had the Vigil brothers back. They've always had guys back there who are really good. I just think mm-hmm. this is the first year in a long time we don't know who that guy's going to be. Because remember, David Woodward sort of came out of nowhere a couple years ago. Yeah, but we weren't expecting him to be contending for conference player of the year on the defensive side of the ball. And so it's like, who would that guy be? And I think that maybe that's what we're waiting for to find out who's going to step up and be the next big thing for Utah. It's like they've had Jalen Davis that Utah or BYU game a couple years ago, maybe Shaq Bond, but they always have like somebody in the interior of typically linebacker. That's really, really good. And it's just the first time in a while. We don't know who that is. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is too, you know, besides bond in the secondary, he's really the only proven entity back there now. Yeah. It, which isn't to say that they don't lack for options, but, you know, like you, to your point, it's a matter of kind of sifting through those options and hoping some of them work out because maybe more so than the other two units of ball, the secondary is bringing in a lot of new imports. You know, CJ Pollard, for instance, was kind of a later transfer from USC, but he could be in the mix. You know, Jared Reed, who transferred from Portland State, is another option to start alongside Bond. Or they could move someone like Dominic Tatum, who I think I think spent most of his time at corner. He could be a safety, uh, an option back there. And then the same thing at cornerback where they're replacing both Cam Haney and DJ Williams. They've got four guys who could reasonably make a, a really potent group. 
but it's just a matter of who's going to play what role because the two quote unquote incumbents, Andrew, uh, excuse me, Andre Grayson and Cam Lampkin, both, you know, both guys started to combine nine games last year, but they might get pushed by again, more transfers. You know, Taryn Adams came in from Arizona state. Xavier Steele came in from a Juco. So, you know, there's a lot of new names there. We don't necessarily know how things are going to shake out, but there's a lot of promise, I would say. It's just a matter of how much that promise is going to turn into potential. And so I think a lot of that is going to be really on the coaching staff to put their players to, you know, to not only identify the, the best players right off the bat, but to put those players in a position to succeed. Because because I think on all three units, I think they're they're deep, but it's just a matter of, you know, Who's going to end up doing what? No, that's true. It's it's all like it's again. Who's who's what's the name? It's a faceless Utah State guy wearing number sixty four or something. You know what I mean? Or, or uh, it's the guy. It's like well, when they appear, we'll know who it is right away. You know what I mean? It won't be a mystery when we see it when they're playing Washington State or Boise or San Diego State when this guy comes up with uh, twelve tackles, three TFLs, a sack, and a forced fumble. Oh yeah, like, there's your guy. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Like, they may not have a David Woodward this time around, but it would not shock me if at the end of the year they had three or four guys on the second team. Oh, yeah. Conference defense. I would agree. We just don't know. Because I think the potential is there for yeah. that. All right. So, what about special teams then? We know Savon Scarver is pretty good, right? Savon Scarver is good. <laughs> very, very, very good. Uh, everything else is kind of up in the air because Dominic Eberly, record breaker all across the board, is gone. Um, and they do have someone lined up to take his place in Connor Coles, but obviously there's going to be some very, very big shoes to fill on that front. And the punting game was fine, but I imagine that Christopher Bartholik is probably going to be pushed. There's a couple of guys on the roster, most notably uh, Stephen Cottsley, who could you know, push for that job or even have a share of that job because – uh, if I remember correctly, Bartolok actually shared the job with a guy who's no longer on the roster in 2019. So it wouldn't surprise me to see that happen again, especially if none of the options stand out. They might end up being in a rotation in that regard. Could we safe to say that Utah State made the best returning duo in the conference? I think that's reasonable to say. With Jordan yeah. Nathan? Like, yes. There's plenty of good guys like Tyler Collins, um, Avery Williams, Dante Wright. I'm assuming, but, they, but as a unit, yeah, I think yeah. it's safe to say they're probably number one. Yeah, for returning kicking, it's like it's to replace the all timers is always going to be tough, and so whoever that may be, make extra points, make your 25 to 32 yard field goals, and you'd be good to go, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it'll it'll be okay. Like the return game could offset any punting mishaps, but it's just something we'll see when they replace the best kicker ever in school history, and but they got the return guys to make up for it, so they'll be fine. They're probably. And, and, you know, they've oh. done it at other places recently, like San Diego State. Mm-hmm. We saw a success story with Matt Ariza. You yeah. know, same thing, you know, with you know, Nevada. They So we've seen young specialists come out the gate really strong right away. Yeah, Tom's so game winner, come it on. Also wouldn't, it also <laughs> wouldn't surprise me if Coles did the same thing. It's just, you know, I think the expectations are pretty high and, and reasonably so. Yeah, just keep them, keep them tempered, Aggie fans. If he misses that 47-yard field goal with crossing win, give him a break. <laughs> yeah. All right. Are we schedule time? Is it schedule uh, time? Let's do it. Yes, schedule. This schedule is it's very difficult. Is that under pretty, de- pretty demanding? Is that underselling it? Is it more than difficult? I mean, when you look at non-conference schedules across the conference, this is definitely on the more difficult side. They host Washington State Thursday night. Fingers crossed. 
Southern Utah, be fine. At Washington, at BYU. Where should we start? We start with Wazoo. The good thing about Wazoo is that it's a new head coach. We know Nick Rolovich is there at Wazoo. The offense won't be too much of a difference from what Aggies fans are used to or seeing in Hawaii. I believe Washington also has a new quarterback. Am I correct on that as well? Yeah, Anthony Gordon is gone. That's they right. haven't they haven't figured out who the new quarterback is going to be yet. You know, they have a few different options, um, including the last year. I think that the backup last year. I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Cameron Cooper. Yes, who was a you know very highly regarded pro style quarterback uh, a couple of years ago. He's a redshirt sophomore. He might have the inside track, but it's still kind of anybody's guess. Um, but I mean, behind him in the backfield, they've got Max Borgie, who is one of the you know better do it all kind of running backs. You know, he I think he caught like what 80, 90 passes in Mike Leach's offense. Then and, and there's a pretty good chance he won't do that again. But he's also a pretty solid runner as well. And as we've seen, you know, in, in Rolovich's Hawaii offenses, you know, the the running back is important. They have to be able to run the ball, and he can definitely do that. He can. And looking at like. What they have to do, it's like, like I said, they're going to throw the ball a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, that's one thing, too. It's like, you think of this, when you get a new head coach, like, oh, new system, new everything, it's more more long, along the lines of learning what the plays are called. And maybe type plays, like, the type of routes they're running are very similar because they want to pass and throw the ball a lot. And that's what Mike Leach did before. And so, like I mentioned, Anthony Gordon, or everyone, sorry, I went through, you're right, sorry, the passing, we did all that, but... Here's the thing, too. Utah State's defense is, is new as well, like we mentioned. Like Shaq Bond, that's his only guy back in the secondary. They're going to go even more deep when they're running four wide minimum throughout the whole game. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be on that secondary to try to stop them. But this is going to be – I I guess the good thing is defense is usually not Washington's strength, strengths, Washington State's strength or Hawaii's strength. So maybe this could be like a potential shootout in the making on the open night of college football, which would be awesome. Awesome. Possibly. Should I, um, if if the uh, circumstances are well-timed and and nice, should I try to head this game up in Logan? Yeah, why not? If things are looking good to actually leave my bubble of my house. <laughs> <laughs> but this will be like, this game, like people, like I'm guessing people across the country, like oh, Washington State, Utah State. People should know who Utah State is, right? Like they're a pretty good team. They know yeah. Washington State, but I think this will be a game people are going to overlook that first night. They shouldn't, though. Because mm-hmm. I think this game has potential to be, could it be like Hawaii-Arizona the year before? It could be. Because I think with the way Washington State's defense has transformed over the past couple decade or so with Mike Leach, Utah State's offense, while they wanted to move into that passing array, they're going to want be able to put points and score and move the ball. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if Jalen Ward's who I think he could be, you have, like you mentioned, or we all mentioned, the deep receiving group Utah State has. I think there's advantages to take over this this uh, Cougar defense. Yeah. But I don't know if I'm going to call it a victory for Utah State, though. No, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> Is it going to be a toss-up? Well, if you look at SP Plus right now, they give the Aggies a 29% chance to win that game, which that seems... sounds about right. You do? You don't think it'd be a little bit higher? 35% maybe? I don't think so. I am predicting a loss. I'm going to go toss-up because new coach for Washington State. It's a road game. There's a few things where I think Utah State should be uh, competitive and 
maybe, maybe stretch and get the upset win, but I don't think they'll get it done. But I think it'll be a, cl- a pretty close game. All right, then. But it's the loss. All right, so the Utah victory. Yeah. Uh, Washington on the road with new head coach Jimmy Lake. Not likely. <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, the Chris Peterson era is over, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Washington went out and won the Pac-12 again. The whole thing, not just the North. I mean, they might. They're in the conversation, I think, just because you know they they may not have some of the big names in years past. Obviously, like Jacob Eason is gone, but you know they brought in Kevin Thompson as a quarterback transfer from Sacramento State. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the best quarterbacks in the FCS last year. And they have last year's backup Jacob Sermon behind him as well. But, you know, beyond that, they should still have one of the best defenses in the country. Yeah. You know, if you just if you just look at Athlon Sports' preseason all Pac-12 team, for instance, they've got, I think, three guys on the first team, one on each level. So you're going to have big names to contend with no matter what you try and do. Whether it's you know Levi Onwuzurike, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Close enough. Uh, at the, on the defensive line, Joe Tryon at linebacker, Elijah Molden, who I believe was the Las Vegas Bull defensive MVP last year against Boise State, and and those are just the headliners. Like you know they've got they've got solid players on pretty much every level. So I I find it really difficult to to see how Utah State's going to be competitive in this game. I did too. I was looking over it. Cultural News, Pete put out his uh, Washington preview. Did you know mm-hmm. their offensive line averages like 320 pounds per person? That does not surprise me at all. That is huge. And that's going to be very difficult to contend against. Yeah. But, um, so I haven't looked. I Maybe I should, but where's Washington like in the super early top 25 rankings? Well, if you look at Athlon, they have them ranked 34th. That seems low. But it sounds like, I mean, it, it looks like they might pretty easily be a top 25 team this fall. I think it's because you're right with all the like while they're replacing a lot of talent, they haven't built up the credibility of say any other team like Alabama, Clemson, not just those top teams, but teams that are say Iowa or something or teams that are in the middle of the pack. They'll, they'll be ranked. They're good. They always have a replacement guy here, here and here. It mm-hmm. might be the year where they're just replacing a bunch at once instead of, yeah. oh, we're replacing three offense linemen or this year it's only two linebackers or one defensive end, but they're replacing a quarterback or running back offensive line where yeah. they don't have the, they should, I think. Also, a new coach as well plays into it, but they don't have the credibility build up, which is false because they're on the Pac-12, I think. But they, probably, I think, they should be a preseason top twenty-five team. Mm-hmm. And Utah State, I don't think it'll be as bad as Hawaii, Utah, Hawaii, Washington last last year or two years ago. But it'll be a great learning game for Utah State, which is a nice way of saying you're leaving Husky Stadium with a with a loss. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then they get to BYU, which oh boy, at BYU. Um, We've talked about the Cougars a few times before because they play San Diego State mm-hmm. and Hawaii, right? No, not Hawaii. So what what do, we, what do the Aggies fans need to know about BYU that we can't tell them? Well. <laughs> I'm scary. So I'm I, feel sad. Like, I feel like we've talked about them already, have we not? Yeah, with, uh, yeah, with uh, San, San Diego State. Yeah, we give them a little bit. I mean, has, has nothing new happened? <laughs> um, Zach Wilson. Okay, I'll tell you something new. Apparently, Zach Wilson can do a one-step tomahawk dunk, if that means anything to you. It does not. Okay. He couldn't dunk going into college, if that makes a difference between that to now. Oh, okay. That's useful, <laughs> there you go. Okay. He's actually put on a bunch of, of size and weight. And so that's 
that's that's clearly something you want to do because he's also as you mentioned as we mentioned in our last podcast he's been hurt the past couple off seasons shoulder stuff but here's the one thing I guess the biggest thing they need to know for Aggie fans which you probably know because they follow Billy closely as well as they should because the regionality of the teams location wise but quarterback Zach Wilson is not guaranteed a job you have, we've seen it last year when they played Boise State you have Jaron Hall and uh, Romney um what's his name Baylor Romney sorry they got two Romneys on the team so mm-hmm. it's going to be a quarterback battle. They're tight ends. We know Matt Bushman. Um, they have Isaac Rax. They have a couple of good guys. They have like Kyrie Tonga, defensive line. I here's the thing. Talent wise, I don't think Billy's that much more talented than Utah State. Maybe here and there, like Matt Bushman, far and away the best player on the team. He had he gone to the NFL last year, he would have been drafted probably fourth round, maybe higher, depending on what you want in a tight end for the NFL team. But mm-hmm. whoever played quarterback, Matt, we saw when they played Boise State, it didn't seem to matter. They're moving the ball. They played yeah. multiple quarterbacks throughout the year, but I think Wilson's going to be the guy to get the edge. They have a new running back, essentially. or well, not really. He was gone Tyson Williams. But what will be good for Utah State in this game is that BYU doesn't have any receivers. I don't trust them yet, which you probably heard me say before. Outside yeah. of Matt Bushman, there's nobody on receiving core that I would say would scare any team who they play until they prove me otherwise. And so that'll help the front seven – of the Utah State defense to be able to attack the quarterback. And so that's what they kind of do. But that's the main thing. It's like they're looking for a quarterback, which probably Zach Wilson. Matt Bushman's the guy. Uh, defensively, they have a couple good blind guys. Like, we always have some good defenders. Now. We always know that. And so I'm still torn of what to take in this game, <laughs> of who mm-hmm. to take. Because uh, BYU, okay. I finally looked at SP+. How are they giving less win probability at BYU than home to Washington State? Are you saying overall it surprises you that BYU is on the doorstep of being a top 50 team? Hmm. I saw the last year, Matt. They were like, oh, I know, oh, I know you did. <laughs> there's like three plays away from like losing all these games last year. Mm-hmm. Like USC, Tennessee, couple. I don't want to say, yes, I will say fluky, but they got the play, the ball to bounce their way, which is uh, unpredictable. Um, I, I, I work with a bunch of buddies like, yeah, they could be a 10 win team. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Utah State is one of the easier teams on their schedule just because they play. Hey, a top 50 team, I put them closer to 50 than 30. But I also don't like that Utah State's a 100-ranked team in SP+. I think they're a touch better than that, but not much. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Utah, they're 99th, if I'm not uh, mistaken, right? 100. Oh, gotcha. Unless that's I don't know. Um, I'm going to lean BYU because it's at home, and they do have a touch more talent here and there. But Utah State's stunned them before. Like the Jalen Davis game a couple years ago, what do you have, three pick sixes? Something like that. Like it's a game where BYU's no longer considered giants over Utah State. Yeah. And that hasn't been the case for like five years. Like I'm going to label it as a BYU win, but a toss-up. I think that's reasonable. So that's where I'm coming on this one. Then, then this their schedule gets tough, man. Washington, they played a week before. At BYU, I'm going to run through a couple here. San Diego State at home, at Boise State, they get a, a breather in New Mexico, then at Nevada, then at Wyoming. This yeah, if they're gonna if they're gonna surprise, they're gonna have to do it early. I don't see them beating San Diego State. No, neither do I. Do you have any? I mean, we, we talked about this already. Yeah, I it's go go back and listen to that one, but it's just the San Diego State defense is really good always. I'll give the Cliff Notes version. Running game should be back to what it would be. You'd hope with John Washington gone. They do need a quarterback in San Diego State, but 
it's at home, so it does give him a give him a little possibility of being at home. I'm not mm. going to call it like a major upset if Utah State were to win, but just the way they played in recent games and playing against really good defenses, I don't think they're going to get the job done. Yeah. Do you see a path to victory for Aggies on that game? I mean, if the San Diego State offense, which we talked about on the Aztecs podcast, like if it's if it's like it was when it was really more fits and starts than efficient, mm-hmm. then I think Utah State has a chance because you know again they weren't that far away from winning the game last year, and, and neither offense was perfect. Sure, and the, yeah, it's. Um, I think the way to win is if it's a low, which, which is like the obvious dust statement, a low scoring game, but. Yeah. I actually think, no, let me reverse that. If they're going to win, if I have trust in their new OC and they're going to want to spread it out more, they're going to, it's also a dumb statement as well. Score a lot of points, you're going to win. But I think if it's a, it's, let's just say, for example, like Utah State gets out to a 21 to 10 lead, like they score three touchdowns really quick, like it's 21 10 at the half. I don't, and if their offense in the second half is just average, I don't know if San Diego State can recover from that. Mm-hmm. With a new brand new quarterback and new running backs as well, so like that's the the path I say if they can get up so quickly, which is difficult playing this type of defense. But if they can get up to a double digit lead at the half, there's a that's how they're going to do it. They just got to score quick and just kind of knock them around early on and force San Diego State to put them in a hole. Like okay, we got to move the ball, we got to pass the ball, we got to score. Where actually, I stand corrected. They beat San Diego State last. That's year. That's what it was last year. And that yeah, game was in long. They won. It was twenty three to seventeen. Okay. But I think that's my point. I think they need to outscore them, which, again, duh. But you get my point. Get out to a quick 14-0 lead, 17-7 to lead or something, and then mm-hmm. you're on the path of victory. So New Mexico, Boise State, no, right? No. Raj, they're going to – Utah State's going to lose probably by – he'll like my answer, like maybe three touchdowns at least. Mm-hmm. This is about right. Like that's – with, again, we'll have our Boise preview, but for this particular game, we don't need to go super deep in all these are reaching the hour mark. But George Lonnie's back. Avery Williams is there. Hank, assuming Hank Pockmeyer is healthy, that's still kind of an if for me. A lot of good receivers out there, like Khalil is going to be running the catching the balls. There, there's just too much talent for this particular Utah State team to be Boise State. Yeah, well, and keep in mind, like SP Plus gives Utah State, a, I think it's a 14% chance to win this game, which, again, yes. sounds about right. Yeah, that's um, a little bit easier than Washington. Uh, then yeah. again, New Mexico should be fine. This is where they can get some things right and get going, figure things out. Then it gets interesting. Nevada at Nevada at Wyoming, Fresno and at, well, we leave the other game, but this third, Nevada, Wyoming, Fresno State, two on the road. Those are some difficult games because. Wyoming's defense is going to probably shut them down. And Nevada, Nevada, Nevada's always a weird team to me, Matt. They seem to have talent out there, but then they kind of like, eh, we'll see if we want to play up to the talent, right? Well, yeah, we'll talk about Nevada more when we get there. I'm, and again, I'll just, I'll just say it again. I'm still bullish on their chances in 2020. I, I am too. I think they're going to win this game because it's at home. But the way Nevada plays, like, remember, they lost to UNLV at home last year. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's like, yeah, they do have they do have Carson Strong, the main quarterback there. Talatoa does great. Um, I did vote how Mummy's my off my the coordinator of the year preseason wise. So there's that, which I think they'll take a big step offensively. I think they're going to they're going to win that game. I just Nevada's at a point where I don't trust them yet to do all that great. Am I, I mean, winning? 
Go ahead. I mean, I think if, if Utah State, you know, because we talked about how especially the first half of their schedule is very demanding. Mm-hmm. If they're going to win enough games to get to a bowl, it's got to start with that Nevada game. Yeah, because I'm looking at my win total for the year. It's not looking good. Yeah, and if you just look at SP Plus's projections, you know they're basically between 34 and 52 percent to win each of the last five games. So it's not like there's any really kind of tilting at windmills situations going on, but there aren't any gimmies either after New Mexico. I would say no. Like you're right because like mentioned a percent wise, all the, those last five half games, one, two, three, four, five, is all basically. I guess CSU is a bit tougher, but 40 percent or better for every game but CSU, just because that's on the road. Yeah. And so, like, they go to next week. We'll go, go through this really quick here. At Wyoming, I think they're, Wyoming's going to surprise and maybe could contend for the Mountain Division. Their schedule's interesting as well as we discussed before. It all comes down to if you haven't heard before, go check out the Wyoming show. But quarterback Sean Chambers, Levi Williams, they had probably the best running back in the conference. Despite defense losing a lot of guys, have a lot of good defense per typical Greg Bull team. Um, Receivers are new as well, so that's an issue for them. But it's on the road. I trust Wyoming, Craig Bull more than Gary Anderson, Utah State. Yeah. Fresno State, where do you come down on that team? It's at home for Utah State. Well, I mean, it, I, I kind of have a feeling it's going to be a lot like last year's game where both teams are definitely flawed. Maybe an, another kind of high-scoring game. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as you know, projecting wins and losses, I have Utah State winning that one at home. You do interesting. Yeah, I can see it too. Like um, I can see Utah State winning that game because Fresno. We'll talk about them later when we get to them. But I'm thinking it's a unless Ronnie Rivers goes off, they are kind of rebuilding because new quarterback line should be better though as we know. Um, they lose Jared Rice tight end. Uh, but he wasn't used much last year, so what's that do, really? Defense, still kind of getting back. But I, I, I'm i going to go with you. I think Utah State, it'll be a competitive game, but I think Utah State has the edge because they have more known weapons, I think, maybe, mm-hmm. if I'm speaking backwards. Um, my Aggie fans are going to hate me because we already talked about them versus CSU. I have that as a loss to CSU Same. in a toss-up, partly because, hey, more Jackson, you open? Yeah, okay, I'll catch it. <laughs> One of those things throwing down the field. Um, it's a winnable game. I think we both agree. However, it is interesting. SP Plus has a 34% chance of victory. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they go to Air Force. They play Air Force the final week. The way they could beat Air Force is just because the academy gets beat up because of their all the restrictions have in place. But I don't see them beating Air Force either just because of what Donald Hammond III, just give it to him, right? You have Kate yeah. Remsburg, everybody else running the ball. They'll just wear down that defensive line. Even though it's week 12, 13, 14, last game. We should know who has what, but I don't see Utah State stopping that triple option enough to win. Yeah, no. Uh, so what's your record, Matt? So I have Utah State at uh, four and eight. What's your victories? Uh, two and six in conference. I have them beating Southern Utah, BYU, New Mexico, and Fresno. Hey, we're doing the exact same thing this time. We're boring. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could see it being worse than four and eight, but I don't want it to. I don't want to really say that out loud too much, because they could lose to BOE, right? They could lose to Fresno State. Like if we're looking the flip side, if I'm saying, oh, they could maybe win this game, like I'm stretching to say Washington State's a toss up. If we're being honest, that's kind of a stretch for me. Mm-hmm. Like I could see them being Nevada and CSU, but like if things go perfect, 
They might be six and six. Might be. By my toss, I, mean, I think that the ceiling is a little higher than that. You do how? Like, like the, where? Where? Though? I readily, I readily admit that Utah State's a very hard team to figure out. What's new? It's the last couple I, years. <laughs> yeah, but I think if things come together and you know the the new pieces in place, you know, are productive right away. You know, Henry Columbia, you know, is able to correct a lot of the mistakes from last year, passing offense and things like that. I think the ceiling for this team is eight games. Eight wins, rather. Yeah, I think that like they have talent. Columbia, I like like I said, I like Jalen Warren a lot, but it's just part of it to me is the schedule makeup. There's no like no, I don't want to say easy games. Like there's no stretch. Like okay, two weeks here, we're good to go. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but when they have Washington State, okay, then Southern Utah at Washington at BYU, like at Washington at BYU, San Diego State, Boise State, those are probably going to be when the season's done. Could be at least two top twenty-five teams, maybe three, mm-hmm. and they're all going bowling. Washington could win the Pac-12. Um, San Diego State or Boise State are probably going to be or are going to be the favorites to win the Mountain West, and one of those is probably going to win the whole thing. They play Air Force, who's really good as well late in the year. It's like there's no break. Like New Mexico, Nevada, like Nevada is a decent team, and so that's part of it too. Like there's no look at this. Look at the cross division games. That's the thing. Like Fresno State, okay, not amazing. But they got San Diego State, Nevada. Like they're not playing San San Jose State and UNLV. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, but uh, but the, the argument that I'll make is that they weren't a perfect team either last year, and they still won seven games. I can see. I just and so it know, wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise me to see you know Utah State fans having a lot of headaches throughout the year and ending up right around seven wins again. I just I, I feel like I might be underselling them a little bit, and there's probably a lot of Aggies fans out there. You know, screaming at their so headphones or I, I, I want them to. So, like, it wouldn't surprise me if they finish, like, third or fourth in the division and, and win seven games and go bowling again. Like, I think that's definitely within their own possibility. It's just, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I I readily admit that I'm hedging a little bit. So am I. And I'm, we have, we're hedging before wins, too. It's about me saying yeah. the defense is good. Like, I, they have the talent and recent history to say they should – which I think our four and eight records states that they're in contention for a bowl game with multiple toss ups. Like, could they beat? Because they, here's the thing: they beat San Diego State on the road last year. So, and they come to town this year. They Nevada, like they could win that game. Like even at Wyoming, if Wyoming's offense struggles, like let's just say, like we'll wrap up real quick here. But let's just say it's Sean Chambers at quarterback, and they're not throwing the ball at all because they don't with Sean Chambers at run. If he has an off day. Are they going to, which they can rely on Xavier Validate to go 25 for like 190, but that's a tough way to win. And if we give the benefit of the doubt to Utah State defense to be pretty good or above average, like maybe they could beat Wyoming, they could beat Nevada, they could beat CSU. Like there's a path to it, but I'm just, my main hiccup is like they play a tough game every week and have very few day weeks where, okay, we got a breather here because we're playing UNLV and New Mexico back to back. Yeah. That's my main thing is like who they're playing and when. So that's right at the stand of there. So again, we both hate the Aggies four and eight for Utah State. <laughs> we're trying. We're looking. We want. We don't like teams to play bad, and be bad, right? No, I mean, and this is the thing. Like Utah State could take a step backwards in the win column, but still set themselves up to be a you know a much more solid contender in twenty twenty one. 
like there, there may be kind of like under the surface improvements that don't always manifest themselves in wins. Yeah, because quarterback will be back. They'll have multi, a couple receivers back, it looks like. Like they'll save on. Oh, well, they'll, we'll get that later. But you're right. Like, especially with defense, I guess. We'll just go there real quick. Like, a lot of new guys coming in. They're not all seniors starting, right? Nope. And so quarterback will be back, a couple of two receivers. They will have a new running back over Jalen Warren, but they brought those three freshmen in, including one who's really good at Helix High School in Southern California. And so they're going to set themselves up fine. I think here's the thing, the reason why we don't know, you mentioned earlier how many transfers and JUCOs Gary Anderson brought in. That could make the difference for, for this team winning like maybe seven games. Definitely. And, and the hard part of it is, we're sitting here second week of July. They're, they're able to go to campus pretty soon. There's been very little, or no, literally no spring football for these new guys. They had, what, two practices or whatever it maybe was back in the early March. Something that, like that. Yeah. That's it for these new guys. So that's a disservice to them. But we'll see when they start practicing next week or two. I know they're on campus now. I haven't heard too much about any issues with uh, testing or anything. But these next couple weeks of getting up to speed will be what they need to do. And so... That's yeah. where I think the confidence comes from is that, again, we mentioned earlier on, there'll be that guy, game three, who has a huge game, defensive player of the week. It's like, holy crap, maybe this is the guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's where we're at. But that's all we got. So MWWire.com is our, po- our website. This is our podcast, not the other way around. Top 50 Countdown, you are handling that very well, Matt. We are a couple in at the moment. Probably more by 10 people hear it. I am screwing around on Instagram, so check those out to see how well you like our stuff at there. But we have a countdown. We'll have our – we're still doing out-of-conference previews, working on that. But we'll be back next time for another team because we haven't decided yet. We'll put up to you guys the poll on Twitter at MWCY. So check it out there, and we'll see you next week, folks.